0: Relationship to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to Easter. Every time you write a date, you're using Jesus as the focal point. When you say it's 2015, from what? From the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why, even atheists refer to Jesus every single time they write down a date. Yeah. Because the resurrection of Jesus accomplished different things. It split history into A.D. and B.C., But the first thing it did, it validated Jesus' identity. It proved that he claimed to be. And throughout history, lots of people have claimed to be God. And they've claimed to be God's own prophet. And whatever their title was, they're all dead. But Jesus said, I'm going to prove that I am who I say I am by letting them put me to death, die on a cross. then I'm going to show up three days later alive, In fact, I'll walk around Jerusalem for another 40 days after that. Can you imagine walking down the street? You were one who put him on the cross, and he's back, and he's back. Wow. And Jesus also proved by the resurrection that there's life after death, that death is not the end of the story. And Jesus gives us a model in his death, his burial and his resurrection. He gives us the model of how to handle pain in life, And to overcome life's challenges. In 1 Peter, it says, God called you to endure suffering because Christ suffered for you. He left you an example so that you could follow in his footsteps. In other words, through Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, he modeled what you should do in the worst days of your life. When you go through those tragedies, terrible pain-filled conditions, days of doubt and depression and despair. He said, follow the model of what Jesus did and what he suffered. And let me explain. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened over a period of three days. Friday was the day of pain and suffering and agony. Saturday was the day of loss and grief, confusion, and misery. Sunday was the day of joy and celebration and victory And here's the thing, in your life, you're going to go through all three of those days over and over and over again. Some of you right now are in the day of pain. Some of you right now are in the day of confusion and doubt. And you think, I haven't the slightest idea of what I'm supposed to do next with my life. Well, you're going to get to the day of joy. You will come out of the time and season you're in and you will fulfill the purpose for which God made you. But you're often going to go through these three days. And, and when you do, you're going to ask three fundamental questions. What do I do in my days of pain? How do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? And how do I get to my days of victory? And that's how we're going to, what we're going to look at today on Easter Sunday morning. Everybody here needs this message. You might not be in a problem right now, but you will have a tragedy. You will have a loss, a major loss, at some point in your life. And if there's any week you need to take notes, this is that week. So all of you got one of these worksheets, you can fill in and take notes and stay on top of the lesson for the day on Easter, because I'm going to teach you what Jesus did in the worst days of his life, so you can know what to do in the worst days of your life. And you don't know when they're going to happen So what I'm going to teach you today are things I've learned from Easter, the Easter story. And you can use and apply each of them in your own life as well. The answer is Easter. The answer is every Sunday morning Easter celebration. So let's look at the three days, the last three days of Jesus' life before he died and was resurrected as a model for how you go through the toughest days of your life. Number one, Friday, the day of pain. Friday was the day of pain. And Jesus experienced pain at the ultimate level. Let me explain. He experienced physical pain. The Bible tells us that he was beaten. The Bible tells us he was whipped, that he was wounded, that he was spit on, that he was slapped, that they plucked out his beard, they stuck a crown of thorns down onto his skull, and he was scourged. Now, what's a scourging? Scourging is a whole lot different than just being whipped. A scourge is a long whip. They call it a cat of nine tails. At the end of that whip are nine specific strands that spread out from the end of the whip. And they tie little bits of bone, rock, and glass at the end of each one of those nine pieces so that it would tear at your back when they came across your back. So 39 stripes were laid across his back times nine, because with each lash, there were nine strikes. So you can figure out the number of wounds that were on the back of Jesus before he went to the cross. Then they took him and without sleep or without food or water, he's been up all night and they take and they nail him to the cross, which is one of the worst forms of torture ever devised. I don't have time to get into the explanation of it, but the death of crucifixion, is a death not only of bleeding out but also of suffocation. And that's why they would break the bones of your legs so you could no longer push off on your feet any longer and you could not breathe. Jesus experienced the ultimate in physical pain. Jesus also experienced the ultimate in emotional pain and psychological pain because the death on the cross was a death by humiliation How would you like to be stripped naked, nailed to a cross, and then people stand around and watch you die by inches? It was a death of humiliation, a death of degradation, a death of shame. He went through the pain of being rejected. He went through the pain of being personally betrayed. And many of you know the pain that that causes, psychologically, emotionally. He experienced that. But then there was another level of pain that none of us has ever experienced to his degree. Jesus experienced spiritual pain. Jesus died on the cross for all the sins of the human race, which means he took the guilt of every evil crime and every ugly sin of all of human history. All that guilt was laid on him at one point. You know how bad you feel if you're guilty over one indiscretion? How would you like to carry the guilt of every murder, every rape, every child molestation, the Holocaust, every genocide, every evil thing, every inhumanity to man? He took all of that guilt on himself, and he went through the hell of separation from his father so much that he cries from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we've never experienced that kind of intense physical, mental, and spiritual pain combined. So I want you to watch a clip so maybe just visually for a few moments you can see the pain and agony of being put in the position by choice to carry our sins all the way to the cross. (laughs) Oh see road. God! boy. though to One thing you can be certain about Jesus is this. He understands pain, and he sympathizes with it. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same trials and temptations that we do, yet he never sinned. The Bible says in Hebrews 2, since Jesus went through suffering and temptation, he knows what it's like when we suffer and are tempted, and he is able to help us. So what do you do in your days of pain? You do two things that Jesus did on the last day of his life. You need to write these down. These two things that Jesus did, he modeled for us to do as well. So follow his example. First of all, reach out to your friends. That's the first thing that Jesus did. Their presence can be helpful in your life in sharing your pain. On The night that Jesus knew he was going to be arrested, tortured, and executed... The last thing he did on planet Earth, he gathered his closest friends together and said, I need you guys to just hang out with me. I'm not looking for advice. I just need you to be with me. It's called the ministry of presence. Jesus said, I need to go pray. And he goes to his favorite spot to pray. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been in that place. It's an amazingly sacred place. Gethsemane is an olive grove on the Mount of Olives. You could call it the Olive Garden, but that's a restaurant. So we call it the Grove of Olives. And that's where Jesus regularly went to pray. So he takes his disciples. Judas has already gone off to betray him. And these men have spent three and a half years with Jesus. They're most intimate friends with Jesus. And he says, In my day of deepest need, in my hour of greatest pain, I just need my friends to come hang out with me. And notice what the Bible says in Matthew 26. Jesus took his disciples to Gethsemane and said, Stay here with me while I pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John a little further, and he was filled with anguish and deep distress, and he said to them, My heart is so overwhelmed and crushed with sorrow that I feel like I'm dying. Just sit here and watch with me. Then Jesus took a few more steps, fell to the ground, and prayed. That passage in the Bible tells us two startling facts. The Son of God needed friends in the middle of pain. And Jesus needed those friends to be around him. That's the exact opposite of what most people normally do. When you're in pain, you typically isolate yourself. You back out of relationships. When you're in physical pain and chronic pain, emotional pain or mental pain, when you've had a failure, when you've had an enormous hurt, when you become embarrassed or ashamed or whatever it is, you begin to isolate. And that worsens your pain. It's a mistake to pull back from your friends when you're in pain. God never meant for you to go through life on your own. He meant for them to share your pain with you. And he meant for you to share their pain when they're in pain. So don't isolate Another thing that's startling about Jesus is how open and transparent and gut-level honest, authentic he is about his emotional condition. He doesn't sugarcoat it with, well, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. No, no, no. He tells him exactly how he feels and he says, my heart is so overwhelmed and so crushed with sorrow, I feel like I'm dying. Have you ever been that gut-level honest with anybody? Or have you just held it all back and sucked it up and pretended that things were good I'm fine when it wasn't fine? You're going through pain. And God says, I don't want you to repress your pain. I don't want you to suppress your pain. I don't, you, I, I don't want you doing that. I want you to express your pain to your friends. And I want you to confess your pain to me. You've got to get it out. Galatians says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, You fulfill the law of Christ. So what's the law of Christ? Love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says, I'm commanded my God to be there for you when you're in pain. And you are commanded to be there for me when I'm in pain. We're to carry one another's burdens and that way the load is halved. You were never meant to go through life on your own. So if you're not in a small group, I actually worry about you as your pastor because you don't have a safety net that's going to carry you when the rogue wind begins to blow in your life. Who's going to help you out when you face a tragedy? Who's going to be there for you? There are very few who have an excuse to not be associated in a small group. I would encourage you, make the decision today, starting next Sunday. I'll be in a small group on the campus or maybe off campus. Because it's inevitably going to come a day of great crisis in your life. You don't know when you're going to hit the wall. So you start by reaching out to friends and building a network just like Jesus did. Friends are essential. But remember, friends can't be there all the time. God can, but friends can't. Friends can be there and they can feel your pain but they can't understand the real depth of your pain like God can. Friends get tired. God never gets tired. The fact is, Jesus' friends in the Garden of Gethsemane that night in his hour, deepest need, fell asleep. But at least they showed up. <laughs> but God never gets tired. And the second thing you need to do when you're in the Fridays of life, the days of pain, is to reach out to God. You don't just reach out to friends, you also reach out to God. And how do you do this? You do it by praying. And that's the other thing that Jesus did right before he faced the worst pain in his life. He went and he, what, prayed. The Bible says in Mark 14, Jesus fell face down on the ground and prayed that if possible, he would not have to suffer the pain ahead of him. He prayed, Abba! Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. It's also a Swedish rock group, but that's not what we're talking about. Abba is the first word every little Middle Eastern child learns. Abba. Papa. Any baby can learn to say Abba. It means daddy. And Jesus is saying when you're in the worst day of pain, and you need to talk to the father about it, You don't need fancy language. You don't say, oh, thou most righteous, just, omnipotent creator of the universe who art. And you have all these great theological terms. You just say, daddy, help. Because your heavenly father loves you. So Jesus prays, Abba, daddy, father. And here's what he prays. He says, I know you can do all things. And I don't want to have to drink this cup of suffering. Nevertheless, I want your will, not mine, to be done. Now watch, this is the pattern. Jesus prays three things in the day of his deepest pain. And when you're in pain, these are the three things you need to pray too. Because when you're praying to God and your heart is breaking and you don't know which way to turn, three things Jesus prayed, it's the Gethsemane prayer. And let me ask you, if you haven't already, you will Have your Gethsemane. And it's a model of how to pray in pain. First, you affirm God's power. And here's what you pray. God, I know you can do anything. I know you can take away this pain. You created the universe. If you created the universe and everything in it, you can do anything. I know you can do anything. You affirm the power of God. Secondly, you express your desire, and you say, I don't want this pain. You ask, Pastor, is it okay to complain to God? Of course it's okay to complain to God. David did it frequently in the book of the Psalms. They're called Psalms of Lament. It's okay to say, God, this stinks. I don't like it. It's terrible. I don't want this pain. I don't want to go through this anymore. It's okay to do that. Jesus did it. If it's okay for Jesus to do that, it's certainly okay for us to do that. God, I don't like the pain I'm in right now, and I know you can change it, and I know you're all powerful. I don't like this. Then there's the third thing you do. You offer your trust. You say, but I want your will, not mine. If this is not your will, I don't want this. I want your will, not mine. I know you love me. I know you know what's best for me. I know you know what will make me happy more than I know. I know, God, that you're in control. And I know there's no way you don't love me. So I want your will, not mine. And as Jesus finishes praying that prayer, soldiers show up. They arrest him. Temple guard is there. They arrest him. They take him through six phony, fake mock trials. All of them were illegal. Three of them were Jewish trials, and three of them were Roman trials, and they were all night, which were all illegal according to both Jewish law and Roman law. You didn't have a trial in the middle of the night. They were just shams. And then they tortured Jesus and all kinds of torture. They spit on him. They slap him. They beat him. They throw a crown of thorns deep into his skin, and they nail him to a cross, and he dies, and they put him in a tomb. That is carved out of the side of a hill. That takes us to Saturday. The day of confusion. Saturdays of life. Fridays are the days of pain and suffering. Saturdays are days of doubt and confusion. Imagine how the disciples felt when they saw the Messiah, the Son of God, crucified by the Romans, taken down, put in a tomb. Then the Romans sealed the tomb and set their guard around it. They're going, what just happened? They're thinking, we know Jesus could have come down off of that cross at any point because we watched him do these amazing miracles for three and a half years. I mean, there were so many things he did. There are not enough books in the world, John said, to record them all. We saw him heal the sick. We saw him give sight to the blind. We saw him raise the dead. We saw him walk on water. We saw him calm storms and control the weather. We saw him do everything. If he created the universe, God could do anything he wants to in this universe. Jesus could have come off that cross at any moment. It was not the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was love. It was his love for you and me. It's what he came to do. For he said, this is the cause for which I came into the world. And Jesus was not a martyr. Martyrs are often killed not by choice or at their will, but somebody just kills them because these people were serving the Lord or doing something good. The 147 in Kenya that were murdered were murdered because they stood up and said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. They're martyrs. They are at the throne of God right now, asking him for justice. No, yes, it's in the book of Revelation. Read it. Not because they willed themselves to die, but Jesus, on the other hand, voluntarily sacrificed himself. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I have the right to take it back up. So Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus was on a mission. The mission was to pay for all the sins of the world. But imagine the confusion, profound grief. The Messiah who's supposed to overthrow the Roman Empire and liberate Israel. Now the Romans have killed him and he's dead and he's put into a tomb. What happened? It's a massive day of confusion. These are the Saturdays of life when you go, why did this happen? Right. Profound grief, great loss, disillusionment, doubt. And just think of all the emotions they probably felt, his followers felt on Saturday. They probably felt regret. I imagine the disciples did a pretty good amount of what if thing" on Saturday. What if we had just stopped Judas from leaving the Last Supper? Maybe we could have prevented all this. And they probably had a lot of self-recrimination. We all walked away from Jesus. And once he was arrested, the Bible says, they all scattered. We all wimped out. We went AWOL. We left him. We deserted him. We abandoned him. And they're all embarrassed. Peter goes, Lord, I'll never deny you. And that night, he had denied Jesus three times. There's a lot of self recrimination going on on Saturday. Then there's probably some fear mixed in there on Saturday. They're thinking, wait a minute, they killed Jesus. They're coming after us next? We're his closest followers. They killed him. Are they going to come to kill us? And then, of course, this great confusion. What in the world do we do now? Who are we? When you're in that Saturday of life, you're in limbo. And you've been there, some of you at times. What happened? You accepted a new job or you started a new business and you've got so much hope it's going to be good and it's going to be great. And it, you may feel like God even led you to start that business or take that job. Then it didn't work out and you got fired. Or the company goes belly up and you go bankrupt and you think, now what am I supposed to do? You enter into a marriage and the greatest of hopes and you think, this is going to be heaven on earth. Then the marriage fails and it falls apart. What's my identity now? What do I do next? There are a thousand ways and things you go through in the Saturdays of life. The days of doubt, the days of confusion, the days of loss, the days of grief. Jesus warned them, this is going to happen. The Bible says in Matthew 26, that very night, the night he was arrested and killed, Jesus told them, before the night is over, you're going to fall to pieces but because of what happens to me. And the next verse, the Bible says that night, Jesus said, all of you will desert me. Jesus told them for the scripture says, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And that's exactly what happened. Every one of his disciples went a wall. Every one of them were absent without leave. They all deserted. Every single one of them ran away. And let me ask you a very pointed personal question. Have you ever deserted God out of pain? Maybe you were praying for something to happen. It didn't happen that way. So you walked away from God. You walked away from church. Maybe you thought it should happen a certain way and it ended up being a massive disappointment and you lost some faith and you walked away and you ran from God. Have you ever let pain move you away from God instead of to God? It's time to come home. And it's time to come back home to the Lord. The factor that enables you to overcome. David did this through the book of Psalms. He says, I don't know what's going on right now in my life. How do I get through these days of confusion? How do I get over this loss? How do I get past the stuff that's happened in my life? I want you to write this down. You need to remember the promises of God. You need to remember. The promises of God. Never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. And when you're going through those days, and you're going to go through them many times in life, when you can't put one foot in front of the other, and you don't know, it's so dark, you can't see ahead of you. You have the slightest idea what to do next in your life. Everything has turned to ashes. It all got tossed in the air. All the plans have been flushed. You don't know where to turn. When you're in that situation, you're in the Saturday of life, you're in the day of confusion, you never doubt his promises. Right before Jesus was crucified, he gives his disciples a huge promise to hang on to in the dark days of Saturday. It's in John 16. One of the last things he says to them, he said, here's what's going to happen. Soon I'll be gone and you'll be without me. But after a while, you'll see me again. And he's predicting his resurrection. He knows what's going to happen. They don't. You, see, you will see me again, he says. You will weep, and you will mourn, and you will grieve. But grief will eventually turn into joy. And then he says, it will be like a woman going through labor pains. When a child is finally born, her anguish turns to joy because the new life wipes out all the memory of the pain. In the same way you'll go through sorrow now, But I'll be back, and you will rejoice. And I love this. And no one will be able to rob you of your joy. When I come back, you're going to be fearless because you will know I can handle anything. And it was all planned. It was all part of this great cosmic drama and play that God laid out before he formed the earth. You can't see in the days of your pain. You can't see it in the day of your confusion. But it's all a part of the plan, and it's a good plan. And when you see that plan, you'll notice what, what, in ways that no one ever imagined the stuff that God had going on that you never imagined going on. And no one will be able to tear the joy out of your heart when you step out of those moments into the purpose for which God put you here. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I'll tell you this you need to become a promised person. What's a promised person? You need to know and claim the promises of God. In this book, the Bible, there are over 7,000 promises of God to you. Most people, even those attending church, don't know them. If you don't even know them, you cannot claim them. And if you can't claim them, They're like checks that have been sent to you and they're piling up in your mailbox and you can't use them. And how do you know when you don't know the promises of God? You're in the dark and it's real simple. Here's a warning sign. It's common to many, even in the church, when you don't know the promises of God, do you know what you do? It's called worry. Any of you familiar with that word? Because when you don't know what God has guaranteed to take care of in your life, you act like it all depends on you. And you worry and you stress out and you have panic attacks and you get all upset and you get anxious and you're over pressured and you're stressed in every kind of way and you're worried because you don't know what's covered in the owner's manual. And he's got it warranted, and you don't even know it's covered. We know that God sees everything you go through. We know that God cares about everything you go through. We know that God grieves when you hurt. And the only reason you have sorrow and grief is because you're made in the image of God, and God grieves. He sorrows. The Bible tells us he weeps. And when he sees inhumanity done by humans to other humans, he's grieved by that. He weeps and he's sorrowful for the way that humanity treats other humanity. We know God loves us unconditionally. We know that God is close. We know that God wants what's best for us. We know that God can bring good even out of bad, even out of evil when we give him all the broken pieces. Anybody can bring good out of good. But God specializes in bringing good out of bad. God loves to turn crucifixions. It's over into resurrection. No, it's not. It's not over. And when you don't remember the promises of God, you worry. Some of you have gone through a personal train wreck. Maybe at work, in marriage, in your health. It looks like everything's turned to ashes in your life. Nothing to show for it. Put all this work in, got nothing to show for it. If that's the way you feel. God has a promise for you. It's one of those 7,000. It's in Isaiah 61, and he says, To all who mourn in Zion, I will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. That's a good promise when you're in the darkest days of your life. And one of those 7,000 promises that has helped me throughout my years. Isaiah 43, it says this, when you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, and Savior. That's a promise. You need a Savior. And the only way you're going to get from the days of pain Fridays of life, and get through the days of confusion, the Saturdays of life, and get to the Sundays, the day of joy and victory, is you need a Savior, because you cannot resurrect yourself. Sorry, you don't have the power to do that. You need to turn to Him, and if you trust Him, you'll get to Sunday, which is the day of joy. On Sunday morning... A couple of women come to the tomb. I read it to you earlier. They came to anoint the body of Jesus. They came to mourn. And they're going to mourn before the tomb and and remember the greatness of Jesus who's now buried. And it says, As dawn was just arriving, the sun was just rising, but the sun had already risen. And when Jesus shows up, listen, He starts showing up first to the women. Then he shows up to the disciples. And then he shows up to a bunch of other people. Over the next 40 days, he shows up over and over. And he sits down and has meals with his disciples and with others. He goes fishing with people. He breaks bread and has communion with others. One time, he had a several-hour discussion. Over 500 people were present at one time to hear him teach. When the disciples saw Jesus, he walks into the room where they're gathered, okay, that's a game changer. We're not afraid any longer. We're fearless. Why? Because you can kill us, but we know we're coming back to life. We're not worried about that any longer. And within 50 days, Jesus' disciples start spreading the good news that lives can be changed. There's power in the name of Jesus. And it starts spreading all over the Roman Empire. Eleven guys begin. There are 120 gathered in the upper room, including the mother of Jesus. And then on that, that same day, as dawn breaks, 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus in Jerusalem. And within 100 years, it becomes the faith of the Roman Empire. And Caesar is a Christian. Why? because they're fearless and they're confident because they have seen the Lord and their joy was contagious. That gets us to Sunday. The day of joy. How do you get to those days of joy? You rely on the power of Jesus. You can't get there on your own because it takes a lot more than self-effort. You don't have enough effort to get there when your life has turned to ashes and when your life has fallen apart when you're in a chronic problem or chronic pain a chronic state of conflict and you can't do anything about it because it's not a matter of I think I can, I think I can I think I can no, listen to me you're not the little train that can go up the hill I think I can no, 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 no you cannot resurrect yourself you need a savior God has to do it for you. That's why it's called salvation. If you could do it on your own, then Jesus coming to earth and dying on a cross is a total waste. If there was any other way that you could get to heaven without somebody having to pay for your sins, don't you think the Father would have chosen a simpler way rather than letting his son die a humiliating death on a cross? There was no other way. Let me summarize this quickly. To get through the worst days of your life, you're going to have to do three things. You're going to have to reach out to the presence of Jesus. You're going to have to remember the promises of Jesus. But you've got to learn them before you can remember them. And you're going to have to rely on the power of Jesus. When you do those three things, it's a game changer. Anything is possible now. Anything. Jesus said it like this in John 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, they will live again. I give them eternal life for believing in me, and they will never perish. Which means they will never go to an eternal hell. And what that verse says is death Is not the end of the story for a follower of Jesus. We have hope. We who were hopeless now have hope. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And notice the words, I am. No other entity, no other saint, no other person. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to point you to the resurrection. Or I can teach you about the resurrection in life. Or let me just kind of show you the way. No. He said, I'm it. What I'm saying to you, the answer to all your problems and getting out of the days of pain, through days of chaos and confusion, and into the day of joy, the answer is not a principle, it's a person. It's Jesus. So you don't need religion And you don't need ritual. What you need is a relationship to Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, I want to know Christ. So my prayer for you this Easter is Ephesians 1. It's a prayer that as your pastor and somebody who loves you, I've been praying this prayer for you for this day. And it says this. I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Right here, we ought to be jumping for joy. This is the prayer, that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. Then he tells us what it is. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you, to me, on a daily basis. And if God can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead marriage. If he can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead career. If God can raise a dead body, he can raise a dead relationship. He can do anything. It's a brand new start with the power of God in your life. That's why Paul said, I want to know Christ, not know about him. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So he says, if it means going through tough times, so be it. So I can get to know Jesus. If that's what it takes, so be it. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection because that is what matters most. Not the chocolate bunny rabbit and not the eggs. That's all fun and that's all good. Nobody likes eating the ears off the bunny more than I do. Whatever it takes to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, that's what matters most. And here's how it begins. In Romans 10, he wrote this to the Romans who were participants in his crucifixion, who are now born again, spirit-filled believers. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he says he is, That he has the right to be the manager of your life. Lord means manager. It means boss. It means CEO. It means he's in charge. He is not just resident. He is president of your life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. If you confess with your mouth, listen to me, that's what Easter's about. Yes. And he says, then you will be saved. And by the way, that's one of those 7,000 promises. Have you claimed this one yet? Have you claimed that one? If you haven't, you need to do that right now. That's what Easter is. Happy Easter. Stand to your feet and give God some thanks in this place. Come on.